The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Okay, guys, on this week's episode, we get to hear Emma with no voice. Woohoo. You know what's so fun is when you have an interview with someone who you've been wanting to talk to for years. And it's like such a huge deal that we've been so excited about for months because we've had this booked for months. Literally months. And I wake up on the day of the interview and I lost my voice. Yep. And I, it's a podcast. You have to talk. You do. And I you have a voice. And so I'm laying in bed this morning and I send Kelsey a voice note. I'm like, hey, good morning. This is what my voice sounds like. Just a heads up. Um, lots of tea. Mm-hmm. I literally tried everything today. I took Advil because it's supposed to help with inflammation. I was gargling with salt water. I held my mouth over a steaming hot pot of water to help moisten my voice, whatever. Vocal cords. drinking tea with honey. I have tried everything. You know what you could try? You know what you could try that you didn't try? Hint water. Hint water. Yeah. How about that for a segue? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyways, I know some people really like raspy voices. So if that's you, you're in for a treat this episode. This and if it's for not, you. I'm sorry, but I think you should still listen because Kara is an absolute badass and she said so much cool she stuff. Is. I was just thinking I was going to hold up the book, but I took my sleeve off of it because I'm forever wrecking the outside of the books. But anyways, her new book that she just released at the end of last year is called Undaunted. And for anyone that doesn't know, Kara Golden is a badass. She's amazing. She's incredibly talented. She's still somehow so humble. And when Emma says we were looking forward to this episode for months, that's not a lie. And so in the episode, actually, surprisingly, we don't talk a lot about the hint journey. And so let's take like a couple minutes now just to get everyone on the same page so that when Kara goes in and starts talking about all these stories, we kind of know sequentially where everything fits in. Do you want to go first? Sure. So yeah, I mean, even before Kara started Hint Water... She's always been the type of person to just be like a go-getter. So she was finishing university. She decided she wanted to work at time. She booked all these different interviews for all these different jobs. I think she had like 90. 90 job offers that she was picking from. Like people nowadays can't even get one, let alone 90. Yeah. And so, and then she decided she was going to fly all over the States. Um, And she showed up at the time office because... Um, the head editor there had basically said, like, if you're ever in New York, we can talk. We're not going to hire you right now, whatever. Like so brushing her up off. at the office. Yeah. And is like, hey, I'm here to interview. You said if I was ever in New York, here's the letter. I'm here. And she ended up getting a job that way in the media industry that she knew nothing about. She figured her way through that. Um, and then she ended up switching to CNN. 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 Um, so working in the TV industry that she knew nothing about. And then she went and worked in tech and she was one of the youngest VPs at um, AOL. Um, and then 
decided she wanted to, at this point, she also had three kids throughout the process, um, decided she wanted to spend more time with her kids uh, and then went and started Hintwater. Kelsey, mm-hmm. do you want to take it from there? I would love to. And so if you're noticing a theme here, it's literally Kara jumping in headfirst into categories, verticals, industries that she knows nothing about. And I think that's a testament to just like when you learn how to learn, the content can change and that's okay. And so with Hint, really interestingly, she just decided that she had a soda problem and was drinking too much soda throughout the week. She said at one point she was drinking like 10 to 12 cans per day, which is a lot, but it's not even crazy. I literally know people who are in the same kind of realm of drinking that much soda every day. So anyway, so yeah, she just decided that like she needed to start prioritizing her health. And a big part of that was drinking more water, but like so many Americans, she hated the flavor. And I don't blame her. Water can be so boring. And so anyways, she started just making these huge, huge pitchers of water with fruit in them. But it would be lemon, it would be cherry, it would be all kinds of different flavored waters. And then her kids' friends would come over, they would try the water, they would go back to their parents and say, oh yeah, I had this amazing water at you know so-and-so's house, can we buy it? Those parents were then calling Kara being like, hey, where did you get this water? And Kara finally had a light bulb moment. Hey, what if I actually turn around and sell this? And so the undaunted book, although it's like a pretty picture now, goes into detail on so many setbacks, so many problems that needed solving, so many just hurdles that Kara and her husband Theo needed to overcome and the rest of their team. And I think... First of all, everyone should go listen or read the book. You Mm -hmm. have to. It's such a good story. And Kara is such a good storyteller. And I think if there's one thing you get from it, it's that being undaunted, unfazed, zen, as Kara puts it, is a muscle. You're not born with it. It's something you learn over time. And the earlier in our lives that we can learn this stuff and kind of approach life undaunted, the better off we are. Absolutely. Yeah. And I second everyone should go listen to the book. Um, It's such a good reminder of like, not only launching a business is hard, but also like all the different roadblocks you can hit along the way, but also that you can kind of figure it out. Like Kara needed to find a distributor. So she went and waited at Whole Foods for a distributor to come. And then she talked to them. And like, there's so many interesting stories like that, that paint the picture of what being undaunted means in this kind of mindset and business. Um, Mm -hmm. So highly recommend listening to the book. There's so many good nuggets in this episode too. So really are. Go ahead and get into it. The one thing I'll say before we get into the conversation is Kara talks briefly about this whole Starbucks fiasco. And just to provide a little bit of context here early on in starting in the beverage industry, she was told by some really, you know, important. I hate to use the word important when they're not actually nice people, but she was told basically that this was never going to happen. America didn't want non-sweet drinks. And that kind of fueled this fire to her for her to go like build this company and basically prove this guy wrong. Anyways, she got some advice along the way. The distributors are like revolving doors or retailers are like revolving doors. And Um, you know, when one account opens up, another account closes. So it's really difficult to maintain steady growth metrics when, you know, your retailers are changing left, right, and center. Kara talks about landing the biggest Starbucks deal that you could possibly land being in 100% of their stores and just how like 
you know, this was a moment of elation. She was so excited. She never thought she'd be in a thousand stores, let alone every single Starbucks store. And so they ramped up production. They got, you know, a ton of new inventory and they were thinking this is sweet. You know, the product is selling really well. And Howard Schultz decided that he wanted to start prioritizing other products. And so within a couple of weeks, they were pulled off of the shelves with all this production capacity and all this inventory just sitting there kind of doing nothing only to get the famous phone call from the Amazon like food and beverage sector. And they wanted to come in and buy a ton of Hint product, literally taking all this extra inventory off their hands. And so looking back, the story sounds so like pretty and polished and like, oh yeah, everything always works out. Life is great. But Kara goes into a lot of detail on how in the moment, it didn't feel so sweet. Completely. Okay, now let's go ahead and get into it. Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have Kara Golden with us, who is the founder of Hint Water. Kara, we're so excited to chat with you today. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I'm very excited to be here as well. Amazing. So, you know, listening to your book, absolutely loved it. Um, And it talks all about this idea of being undaunted. And what I really liked about it was that as you talk about your career, it goes down so many different paths. You start in media, you move into tech, then you found a CPG company. Um, and there's that kind of thread of being undaunted throughout all those different experiences, which I really like. I mean, for me, I'm in a transitionary period right now too. So hearing how you've gone down these different paths has been so cool. I would love to just hear a little bit more from you on what it means to be undaunted. I think what it means to be undaunted more than anything is as as my friends have have frequently said to me over the years you're pretty zen i mean you're you're hard charging but you're pretty zen about what is your journey and what is your path and i think in order to be that way it really boils down to being okay with making mistakes and heading in one direction but but probably the most exhausting part of of my journey is is knowing that you know I'm I have to stay aware and awake and and make sure that I'm not just putting my foot on the pedal full throttle and I'm headed in that direction and and I think more than anything just recognizing okay a pandemic just hit. Now what do I need to do instead of actually saying, well, no, I was I was headed in that direction or I can't go any further. Right. And mm-hmm. and what I've said is like every day can be exhausting when you are really aware of what's going on and you know what's going on in the world, what's going on in your business, what's going on with your employees, what's going, all of these things, I think as a leader are really the things that are so key. And I think that, you know, that is, that is really being undaunted though, just knowing that stuff's going to come up and there's a lot of different paths that you can take and you don't have to live undaunted, but if you decide that you're going to live undaunted, know that not every 
path, not every journey that you're on is, is going to go perfectly. Instead, you, you have to have explorers mode in you and, and know that you're going to encounter stuff, people that maybe just don't fit into your plan and you need to pivot, reboot, uh, whatever, and, and learn from those experiences as well. Yeah. I remember reading The Obstacle is the Way for the first time. And the first mm-hmm. probably three chapters are all about all of these famous leaders, war heroes, presidents, owners of billion dollar companies. And it literally talks about the fact that adversity is inevitable. The only thing you have control over is your reaction to it. Right. So yeah. I want to dig into this a little bit. Being Zen, it's one thing to be Zen when everything's going well. When shit is hitting the fan, are you sitting there talking yourself down, being like, okay, we're going to be Zen right now? Or is that just something that's second nature for you? I think for me, my where my head heads towards is is figuring out what can I do. Hmm. Whenever I see challenging days for me to actually stop. I mean, don't misunderstand me. Sometimes it's like, what can I do? I can go sit in my chair outside and and close my eyes or, you know, whatever it is. But it's having a direction, having an idea that I need to figure out what is right for me, for my company, all all of these things as I as Mm -hmm. I move forward. And and I think that somebody was asking me earlier today, what is it that you know, you wish you would have done maybe in the past or you would, you wish you would have known. And I think being able to know that no matter how hard things have been along the way or how successful I've been or however you want to paint the picture, it really is about really thinking about all of those things that I've learned and knowing that there's a bigger purpose for all of those those moments along the Mm. way. And, you know, even I think about this a lot. I mean, one of the stories I share in the book is around Starbucks and, you know, that was a bad day on the timeline for hints and for, right. It was like, we get booted out. You don't want to get that (laughs) phone call, right? No one wants to get that phone call where, especially in our case, we had all our eggs in that basket. And, you know, I was embarrassed. I, I went through all these different moments of, you know, like kicking myself, you know, feeling like, how are we ever going to recover? We had product in our warehouse that was going to go bad. I had to go back and tell my investors and thought, you know, my board's going to fire me. I mean, like there were so many moments along the way where I just thought, what am I going to do? And, and I think that sharing that story with so many founders, I kept I kept hearing myself say I should have not had 40% of our business in, you know, Starbucks hands. I should have, you know, always had other options out there Mm -hmm. and other, other, you know, retailers or however you want to look at it, just different pieces of revenue that were coming in so that it wasn't that important. But more than anything, Knowing that something that I always, you know, share with people, not just in business, but in life is that the bad never lasts forever. And you have to really be open to light 
And I, and I think for, for me, Amazon was our light. And oh, when yeah. they had approached us and said, would you be interested in getting into our new grocery program? And they unfortunately, as they said, needed product right away in order to get up on the grocery business. And I, you know, he said, by the way, the buyer for Amazon said, by the way, I buy your product every day with my latte at Starbucks. And I thought, do I tell him that we just got kicked <laughs> out of there? Or do I just say, oh, can you wire him the money and I can send a truck today? And which is yeah, what I did and, yeah. and move on. But, you know, I think back on those challenging times. I mean, the, the time was Starbucks all that bad. I mean, no. I mean, would that Amazon buyer have known who Hint was if we weren't in if we weren't in Starbucks? No, yeah. probably not. Maybe he would have. Yeah. You'll never really know. But again, know that with these challenging moments, it's all part of the journey. And even moving from tech and ha and running a direct-to-consumer business for America Online, I mean, I moved into into starting a beverage company and all my tech friends are like, wait, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the tech angle? And I'm like, there is none. And they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, why are you doing that? And, you know, I didn't know that seven years later we would be starting a direct to consumer. And as Steve Jobs mm -hmm. uh, famously said, I mean, the dots eventually connect, right? That it's like, that's why I was in that mm -hmm. business, right? And that taught me a lot of what I know today. And so many things like that, you know, it's, it's way easier to be Zen, I think, when, uh, as you get older, and you can see all these connections, how they happen, versus, you know, when you're in them, I guess, and mm, when the yeah. challenges occur too. Yeah, no kidding. And that's one quote I loved in the book is, what's the worst that can happen? Things will work out. You know, eventually it will all come together. Um, something I'm curious about and something you kind of alluded to in your response is you shifted industries so much. So really that you knew nothing about going into it. So what was your approach to ramping quickly when everything is so new in these new endeavors? What's your process look like for learning? Well, I think it, it really, frankly, is starting with learning. And I think that if you can start with learning and, and knowing that that's a high priority for you, I mean, that's really the most important thing. Look, I've learned so much about business overall, just from being in three different industries. I mean, it actually, in some ways, four different industries, mm -hmm. the print industry, and then television, and then tech, and then beverage slash consumer products. And with that, there's, it's kind of direct to consumer and retail and publishing is kind of weaved in there and services versus physical products. I mean, I've learned a lot over the years. And Sometimes I'll go pull things when we decide to do a Super Bowl ad, how we negotiated a mm. Super Bowl ad across, you know, we didn't buy a national buy. We bought it across uh, different um, different verticals um, in, you know, throughout the U.S., a lot of local markets. And people are like, how the heck do you know this stuff? And again, it goes back so many years from being mm -hmm. in this other 
you know, business. And I'm sure you guys can relate to that as well, that you pick up these little things that you carry with you, that little learnings along the way, and then you transfer. And that's how you act differently, frankly. Mm -hmm. And so I think, though, you have to be willing to learn. I think so often we're, we are taught to, you know, go to school, go get your first job, become a manager, become a director, become maybe become a CEO. Mm-hmm. And I think that the thing that I really thought a ton about is, um, you know, as, as you move up the ladder, which is, is kind of the mecca, right? That we're told, like, that's what you should you, you know, you're applauded, you're, you know, you get more money, all of these things. But when you get into that higher level, you're often, you know, put in this position of mentoring and managing versus actually enjoying. And Mm -hmm. it's, and I think that that's not what everybody's great at. It's not what they enjoy. And I think that and and more than anything, I think it's it's often the place where you're just not learning anymore. Yeah. You're teaching. And so yeah. it's not to say that mentoring and managing isn't a great thing and a really great thing to do. But I think uh, some of the most unhappy and miserable people were sort of forced into this place versus actually thinking that that's really what they wanted to do. And then they leave a company grumpy People think, you know, they're something else, right? That they're bitter or whatever, when the reality is, is that they may not be learning anymore. And that may be sort of the crux of it. So for me, when I left tech, you know, I was the youngest vice president at America Online, one of the few females at that level. And I couldn't articulate it because I just knew that I wanted to stay home with my young kids. I had, I was pregnant with my third Um, but you know, it wasn't a popular decision. It wasn't like I, I would say to friends or, you know, to former colleagues that I want to kind of get off the train and I want to go do something. I didn't want to be a stay at home mom either forever. I just knew that I wanted to do something different. I kept thinking that that would be in tech because I had been successful in tech and everybody else thought so too. And I think what, what was really the most kind of dismissive, annoying thing to me was that when I shared with people that I was going to go start a beverage company, mm-hmm. that, you know, they really thought I was talented and that I had done great things and I should go get a job in some other tech company. But the minute that I said I wanted to go do something else, they're like, how are you going to do that? You don't have experience. You're totally different. How can you go and just start? You were like a vice president at a company. Is anybody going to believe you, you know, that you're going to go back down to the bottom? And, and, and it was just, you know, and they don't intend, I think, to tell you these things either. They, they share these ideas with you because it's their own fears and they love you. You know, family doesn't want you to take risks. They want you to just, Mm -hmm. you know, keep going to work every day and being happy. And when you're not really happy, when you're not really learning is the time that you have to go figure it out for yourself where you're going to go learn and what you're interested in, frankly. And so that was my experience. It's probably really hard to say, but let's say maybe after time or before AOL, do you think if you had started Hint then, you could have gotten here because of who you are as a person and how you learn? 
I think I had to learn through so many, I had to learn, I mean, I was really fortunate because I think tech as a, as a industry overall is very good about not having the roadmap. And so there's a lot of, I think it's one of the reasons why people are so attracted to tech is that there's just a, there's just a lot of curious people in tech. And, and I think part of it is, is that there's just not, you, you sort of know going in that there's, there's no roadmap, that there's a million examples of people that didn't follow a roadmap and they just kind of figured it out along the way. I mean, to sort of jump into that path knowingly is, is really, um, you know, that, that takes a curious mind. And, and I think that that for me was really kind of the, the fortunate thing that I had been in an industry that was like that jumping into the beverage industry. It was, what do you mean? You didn't grow up inside of Coca-Cola or you didn't Mm -hmm. go in a management training program from Procter and Gamble or whatever Mm -hmm. that is. And, um, so I think it's just coming from one industry that was like, let's just go figure it out. What's the worst that can happen? Um, you know, let's just like roll up our sleeves and see what happens. Oh, we almost can't make payroll. Okay. Well, we'll figure it out somehow. You know, like that was the world that I had come from. And so going and starting something in a totally different industry, I just grew to really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And it trains you to learn to approach things differently and ask those questions and challenge, um, challenge what's, what has been done and how it can be done and all the different opportunities within that. Um, to pivot a bit, another thing I really appreciated in the book was when you spoke about, um, you know, so many strong brands have a really personal touch to them. They have that really strong founder story. They have a face to the brand and that that was something that you had built into Hint. Could you talk a little bit more about why you chose that and if that was kind of a conscious decision or if it was just something that happened? Well, what I found starting Hint, frankly, was that we didn't have any money to describe what we were doing early on. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I was self-funding the company and I knew I was starting launching a new product and starting a new company, but I didn't realize until probably a couple of months in that I was starting a new category. And I learned that I was starting a new category because when I went to retailers, I mean, even though direct-to-consumer was going on in other categories, it really wasn't happening in 2005 in beverages. And and probably the closest thing is there had been some grocery businesses that had been out here, in particular in where I live in the Bay Area, Webvan, that had been massive failures. There were just all kinds of opinions about perishable foods and you know why that would, wouldn't work. And so no one was really doing it. And then there was the weight to the heavy, you know, cases of water. Like, how do you ship that? All of these sort of, you know, pieces along the way. Um, so we didn't have any money. And I started hearing from consumers early on that they came, they looked at our bottle. I mean, we were in Whole Foods. Yeah. And the first day that we got into Whole Foods, we had a customer write to us about their experience with our product. And, you know, they called 
first they wrote and then got on the phone. They probably thought it was some big customer service center. It was me <laughs> answering the phone call. And, um, you know, it was, it was really the first time that I had ever heard about this disease called type 2 diabetes. And I was really fascinated because I had heard of diabetes, but I had never really understood that there was a type 1 and there was a type 2. And, and I just was fascinated. Again, my curiosity kind of went into gear. I had never heard those conversations when I was at AOL, certainly. And so I just started asking this guy, like, how did you know you had type 2 diabetes? And, and what kind of doctor, you know, is it, do you go to an endocrinologist for that? Or how, I mean, what were your signs? Like how many people have this disease? All of these things. And then as I started looking it up more about this disease, I started thinking, if I can find, he's so sold on our product. If I can find more people like him and find community, then maybe get the word out about our product. So I started looking for there, you know, being a water company, um, there's all kinds of opportunities to actually do events. And so I kept looking for events that had sponsorship from, you know, type two diabetes or building awareness about type two diabetes. And, and then I thought we should just go sample there. And so I'd, you know, put some water in my car. And then we just start sampling more than anything, not only to build trial, but also to talk to people and try and figure out what else they think about the product. And we found that it was so much more effective to go into places where they were, you know, like-minded people that needed a product like Hint, even more so than sampling at a grocery store. Like, I just thought it's just, you have people, you don't really know who's sampling and who's sampling from you at those places. So I think for, for me, every time I got into one of those situations and it would happen even at, at the store level when I was sampling the product, but they would want to know, oh, how did you start this product? And why did you start this product? And so I would share the story over and over again, my why. And frankly, this was 16 years ago before people were even talking about know your why. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I would just ask, or I would respond to people's asks, like, why did you start this? And so the more that I started doing that, I realized that there were people who then would share my story and I would hear my story back. What was fascinating is that my story would then come back to me with a piece of wherever I had told that story. So for example, what people picked up on was the fact that, that like, they had had this product and then they would say that I had type 2 diabetes. I didn't have type 2 diabetes. I was probably pre-type 2 diabetes prior to starting, but I didn't actually have it. But yet Mm -hmm. the person, what they were hearing, because I was at this type 2 diabetes event, they were hearing that I was. Or another Mm -hmm. one that people have picked up on in the book that is so interesting is that I was having, I was pregnant with my fourth child when I developed Hint. And, and so people will pick up on that in the book. And I can always tell, especially if it's somebody who's trying to figure out, should I 
wait to go out and get a job or can oh, I wow. actually have a job while I'm pregnant? Whatever it is, because they, they're like, wait, did you actually go and, and put your first bottle on the shelf? Like the day you were delivering your baby. And oh I'm like, I did. and you can just see that that's what they pick up on. And so that's yeah. the power of storytelling too, that you don't even have to emphasize certain aspects. You actually just figure out what is your authentic story. And you'll find these little micro groups within oh, yeah. that story. I mean, I our CFO, just as another example, I met him, I talk about him in the book, that I met him at a kid's party. And he was very kindly pouring me a glass of wine at his house and our kids were in school together and he said you know he's worked at google at the time and he said so what do you do and i said oh you've never heard of it's just this little beverage company and he said oh have you always been in the beverage industry and i said no i actually used to be in tech and he knew me actually by my maiden name and uh from when mm -hmm. i was in tech and he said, wait a minute, you started a beverage company and you came from tech? And I said, I did. And he was like, how did you have the courage to do that? How did you, like all of these kind of questions, maybe that he was thinking about in his mind, do I always have to stay in tech? Can I go to another mm -hmm. industry? Again, there, people craft your story to live in their world. Oh, and, yeah. that's, and that's what I've noticed. Yet it's the exact same story. Hmm. It's just where they maybe stop you in the story to fill in based on what they're going through. Totally. Totally. And I actually think there's something I don't want to gloss over here. If you had just come out and you said, hey, we're the water that helps you lose weight or we're the water that you can drink when you have type 2 diabetes or whatever those claims might be, you would be in a whole different world of regulations, of approvals, of being involved mm -hmm. with the FDA. And so I think what's genius about this story, and you go into way more detail in your book, is you kind of went with this grassroots approach. You go, you donate your water. Oh, and you happen to be associated with the cause. And you have a whole chapter mm -hmm. about that in your book. Let's talk a little bit more about the community building aspect of it. So if you're going in and you're creating a category, you're essentially selling a product people don't even know they need yet. How did you go and scale these communities across not just diabetes, not just these different thought or these different groups, I should say, but now to be a nationwide brand? Yeah, well, I think it starts with health. And I think that that was, was and still to this day is really, really fascinating to me is that people pick up on the product and, you know, they're sort of surprised that other people and other types of health groups are, are maybe drinking the product or drinking as much of the product. So I, it, I think it's just, it's really, look, it's easier for our product because everyone needs to drink water. It just so mm -hmm. happens that if you don't go too far, like we don't have, we don't have, uh, advertising or even, you know, small direct to consumer ads that are saying that we're, you know, great for chemotherapy. Yet the number of people who write to me, you know, weekly sharing the fact that, they drink Hint and it masks the metallic taste that you get when you're going through chemo. I hear that 
weekly, you know, from people. And yet we're not the cancer water or the chemo yeah, water. I mean, we're exactly. the, we're a water that helps people actually live the healthiest life that they can. And I think that that's the thing that's really interesting about the messaging is that you don't have to go um, so granular on, I guess, on, mm-hmm. on the messaging in order. In fact, it's almost better for you to stay higher level. Um, you know, we don't make any health claims. We share consumer stories when we do talk about diabetes or, or chemotherapy or any of those um, different segments of health. And I think that while you don't have to be going through those situations, I think that if when you start with health and think about, you know, a product like Kint, it's in some ways it's easy. It's in some ways, maybe some marketers think it's very hard because you are, you know, you can actually be everything to everyone, mm-hmm. except for people wow. that really want a super sweet drink, right? We're, yeah, true. I mean, we're, and, and we're also, I mean, we've had people over the years, uh, share with us that we should be sweeter. And I'm also a big believer that you have to actually know what your company is and know what your lane is. And I think having worked for incredible entrepreneurs directly or indirectly, including Ted Turner, including, you know, not directly for Steve Jobs, but indirectly for people that had worked for Steve Jobs and then you know, indirectly for Steve Case as well. It's like you can't be everything to everyone when you are running your company. Uh, and and you're going to have customers that are going to say, you should sweeten your product more. And I'm like, that you sh- there's a lot of other products out there that are sweet and right. you should go drink them. Or people have said to me, what's wrong with drinking plain water? What's wrong with drinking tap water? nothing as long as you think it's clean. I mean, that's, that's really the, that's the biggest thing is that when you can still continue to have a dialogue with a customer, but also not try and, you know, develop hint with sweeteners. Instead, we sort of, you know, tease the audience a little bit by doing an energy water or, um, or, you know, doing fizz in our water. We could, but Mm -hmm. we won't. Right. And because our purpose, and we think that the market is way bigger for people who really want to drink water, but don't because they, they they find it boring and they haven't found Mm -hmm. hint yet. And so, um, so I think just, that's a really, really big key, um, to, you know, understanding these communities, but also, I th- I think our approach too has been, you know, even in the nonprofit world. I mean, there's look when you're a water company and you start to hear all these stories from consumers. I mean, we get hit up a lot for um, donations or um, or partnerships, and and I think that we we support a lot of different organizations and runs and charities and, and stuff with, with product. But, um, we've, we've really found a large percentage of our consumers, um, either deal with or have family members that are dealing with breast cancer. So it's like one of the ones that we, I mean, last year, 
think we raised over a half million dollars. I mean, a company like our size for raising in, in two days, I mean, it was, I mean, it was crazy. So I think it might've been a few more days than that, but I mean, it was pretty nuts in the middle of the pandemic that we were able to raise that much money for, you know, research and helping people get chemo treatments and, you know, and working with the Susan G. Komen Foundation in order to do that. So, I mean, it's a big number. And I think the year before that, when we actually were able to do more outside with it, I mean, we raised almost a million dollars and I mean, that's a lot. So, yeah. yeah, So it's, uh, again, sort of understanding who, not only who your core consumer is, but also, you know, where you feel like you can actually bring a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to touch on this because when you talked about, you know, not getting too granular, you've expanded your brand in really interesting ways. You've gone down the road of sunscreen and deodorant, and it ties back to that mission of helping people make healthy choices and making that easier for them. Can you talk about when you launched those products, how it was received? Were people like, what are you doing? Or did they get it? Yeah, definitely. What are you doing? Another what are you doing moment. And, you know, and I think, look, you have enough of those what are you doing moments and you sort of just don't care anymore. Right. And I think you you keep launching as long as the consumer you're satisfying the consumer. And I mean, I think that that's the most important thing in kind of thinking about your business. And maybe if you haven't gone online yet and and haven't woken up and realized that the consumer is buying a lot online, that that relationship that you have with the consumer is, um, is really important because you get to, you get to solve problems for them. And so, you know, it started, the sunscreen started for me. I had, uh, basal cell skin cancer on my nose and which isn't Mm -hmm. the worst skin cancer in the world, but it's still skin cancer and didn't really want it. And, um, that's when I really realized why I wasn't wearing sunscreen because the experience with the sunscreens that were out there was just really confusing to me. First of all, I didn't want to smell, as I used to say, like sunscreen, everything smelled like tropical and coconut, or it was unscented. And a lot of the unscented products just didn't smell that good. And I didn't want it certainly didn't want it on my face under my nose where I was smelling it all day. I just was, I don't know if you guys have experienced that with some of these products, but these natural products, a lot of them, they might be unscented, but they reek. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. just not very good. And so I started thinking about, wow, I wonder if I could actually buy a bunch of these ingredients. If nothing else, I'm going to learn about what is in sunscreen because I had never really thought or focused on it. And so I did. I bought a bunch of them, not actually thinking that I was going to develop hint sunscreen, but really for myself, very similar to what I was doing with the water. And a friend of mine who used to work for L'Oreal was over and she said, have you thought about getting FDA approval on this? Because in the US, you sunscreen is all FDA approved and different from water. Actually, our product is uh, regulated by the FDA because we use fruit, but bottled Mm -hmm. water is actually not regulated by the FDA. It's regulated by Mm -hmm. states in in the U.S. So I hadn't dealt with the FDA as yet. And so um, as much. And, and so the sunscreen, when I launched that, I just 
went on the internet and filled out the form and sent it in and it said company name. And I thought, hint. And I didn't have the trademarks. I had registered for the trademarks, but I, you know, they weren't registered. And so I, I, because I really just didn't think it was going to happen again, sort Mm. of what's the worst that can happen. It'd be, if nothing else, I think I thought no matter what I do, it's just, I, I feel like it's a, it's a test of whether or not it could happen. And if it doesn't happen, I, I have really good stories of when things actually didn't go the way. And I thought, I'll just be a better dinner party guest. Like, tell me the story of that, Literally, yeah. you know, along the way. And I think if you live your life that way, to some extent, it takes a lot of pressure off because you're you're not embarrassed. You're mm-hmm. called an authentic person or leader or whatever. You know, you just sort of like roll with it and see what happens. And it, you know, it's humbling, but it's also uh, offers you the ability to um, not take yourself so seriously. But that was how I thought about, you know, the sunscreen. And then a year later, we actually got the approvals of um from the fda saying okay you know and we'll move forward with the pineapple and the apple and uh the grapefruit and and you know we had our own direct to consumer business at that point and we launched it online we didn't even Mm -hmm. do sampling like we had done sampling for the water into these different communities we didn't even do sampling for the sunscreen we just launched it online and thought you know, let's see what happens. And we said $20 out to our list of our email uh, list that we had, which was, you know, not giant, but it was something. And we said, Hey, you buy our water all the time. You want to buy our sunscreen? We weren't giving it away. We just, you know, said it's actually really good quality. It's the same quality as you find in a dermatologist office and it's 20 bucks and it's from a brand you love. What do you think? And, And we had like 67% of our online lists like bought. I mean, it was insane. It really was. Yeah, it was crazy how many people bought it. And people ask me all the time, when did you know you had a brand? Mm -hmm. Like that's when I knew we had a brand because there was no way for them to try the product. And yet they were saying, oh, I love Hint Water. Let me, you know, throw 20 bucks in that direction and get it. And you know, so many of those people have continued to buy it and yet it's really not available in stores. It's kind of hard to find. And mm. it's a, it's a fascinating, it's really a fascinating story. Yeah. Honestly, consumer trust is everything. And no matter what you come out with next, because you have that trust with people, you're already, you know, 10 steps in the right direction. I want to hear about some of these ideas because I know you have them that didn't turn out like the sunscreen and the hint. What were some of the other experiments that just never made it to market? Well, we had some that made it to market and then we took them off market. You know, it's, yeah, well, there's many things that we did along, along the way that I share with entrepreneurs. I mean, one thing that we did was we had a major retailer that asked us to do a private label product and oh. for them, and they were going to launch a private label product. We really wanted to get into this large retailer. And so we said, okay, we'll do the private label product on the one condition if, and the private label product was exactly our product, but it was with their, their own store label. Mm-hmm. And we said, we'll do it on the condition that you launch our product first. Well, 
about a month before we were launching, they said, no, actually, we want to launch our own private label product first, and then we'll launch you guys in three months. So we already had like the product was brutal, you know, in the works and whatever. And we were not happy about it, but we thought, oh, that's fine. You know, it'll be three months. It's we're still going to get the business for the year. So three months came, six months came. We're still making their product for them without our brand on there. And nine months come, a year comes. You know, we're all like pointing fingers around our company saying, what do we do? I mean, we are not a private, we're a brand. We're not a private label manufacturer. It's not what our business is. They switch buyers. Then the buyer that the new buyer said, wait, what? They, they said (laughs) they were going to launch your, I don't know anything about that. I run private label and you know, everybody's just like, oh, they don't work for the company anymore. I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. And then finally, after about a year and a half of this, we had a really hard conversation and we were growing their private label product was growing. And we just said, we're actually not going to do this anymore. And it was a very successful program for the retailer. And we said, we, you guys had promised us that you were going to launch our brand. And that was a year and a half ago. And it was different people and totally believe you that you have nothing to do with it, but we're done. And they said, what do you mean we're done? This is millions of dollars of business. And we said, it's just not what we ever wanted to do. And we were doing it because we thought that we could gain the space, you know, in, in working with you guys, we were happy to do the private label so long as you put the brand on shelf. And, um, they said, well, it's, I mean, it's too much business for you guys. I mean, we're, you know, a huge piece of your, of your company. And, and we said goodbye and we, and we gave them, I think we gave them like a month's notice. We said, we're going to let wow. this product run out. And we were tiny. I mean, we were not very big. It was not a popular decision inside of our company either because it was, it, it was, you know, it allowed us to get to the levels too that we needed. It, it put more costs on our product, but we thought we have to put stakes in the ground about who we are. Hmm. Are we a private label product or our manufacturer or are we a brand? And we said, if we really want to grow a brand, we're not even getting credit for, you know, doing the private label product. And so that's, you know, we went, we took a few steps back in order to go forward and it was a really smart thing to do. I mean, I think it it was a hard decision to do, um, but it was an incredibly important decision to do. Um, other stories. I'm trying to think of, of good ones. Tee me off again. What was the what was I, the original question? Because I had a couple. I more. wanted to know. I wanted to know which product ideas just oh, yeah. never made it. So then I I grew up in Arizona, and uh, and I really wanted to hear. I I I grew up with sun tea, so my mom would always make sun tea, and she would put. Mm-hmm hibiscus flowers that we grew in our garden into this large glass jar and she'd put water in there and she'd let it sit outside and you know in Arizona at like 
bakes at, in the summer oh, yeah. for 120 degrees and you make amazing teas. And, you know, they were unsweetened and all of this. And I loved the taste of it. And I said, we should make a hibiscus water. It's like amazing. I mean, it's so good. And, and you get so much great flavor off of these flowers. And when we started hearing more and more about type 2 diabetes, the Hispanic market in particular was huh. one that we just felt was like the fast. We, the data showed us that it was the fastest growing market. And I thought in Arizona, hibiscus is so big. It's like definitely in, in Mexico and Central America, hibiscus flowers are much more common. And so people understood the flavor that you would get mm -hmm. out of, of this flower. So we thought, let's do a hibiscus water. And so we, we actually had hibiscus, honeydew hibiscus and Ooh, hibiscus and uh, hibiscus vanilla. And, uh, and it was fascinating to me to see, we got it into some retailers, um, on the East coast of the U S in, uh, in New York and Boston, no one in those cities knew what the heck was hibiscus and oh, no like the best case scenario san francisco didn't really either and it was hmm. really los angeles and san diego and arizona and we really didn't have texas distribution at that point they probably would have got what we were doing but it was fascinating to me and you know we thought well it's kind of niche and and cool and no one else has it but um when your product when when the consumer can't really envision, especially in, in a drink or in a food, or um, they can't think about what the smell is, um, mm -hmm. that is, that's a very, it's a very dangerous uh, thing to lead with, right? Mm -hmm. And we were too small to kind of take that risk. And what I realized is that our top flavors were actually the exact same uh, items in the fruit section that were the top things. That's what consumers oh, bought, watermelon and blackberry. Yeah. And so, you know, so often it's a lesson of so often entrepreneurs think, I want to be different. And they'll, yeah. you know, put two flavors wow. together that no one's ever seen. But if no one has ever seen it or tasted something like that, it's really tough because it's it to to actually make a purchase and you know have trust that they're going to like it mm -hmm. you have to be able to taste it it's another reason why you know when i look at we're only in the us now and and or i should say in north america mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people have said you know would you would you bottle in the us and then ship it to Asia, if you were going to Asia or, yeah. um, or, you know, how would you think about flavors? And I think that that lesson that we learned about hibiscus is also makes me think a lot about international business because there's certain fruits that, you know, starfish or, um, or right. starfruit and, you know, or, um, passion fruits, like you just don't see them as much in, in North America, yet they're much more common in Asia. And I think it's just, you, you have to really understand who the customer is and what they 
are used to tasting in order to, you know, really have a successful product. It's not to say that you can't do, uh, you know, get a little risky along the road and tr test things and get a good press release for something crazy. I don't mm -hmm. know. But to actually lead with that and have that be your core is really not what I think is the right move. It's a good lesson. And I also think like with so many people having e-commerce as their primary channel, there's no sampling happening with that. I actually think of a brand we just brought on um, that's doing influencer marketing and their whole thing is getting story videos of influencers to describe the taste of a product that people are not going to understand. And they found the exact same thing. Their product just wasn't selling when nobody had no, when people just didn't have a reference point. And so having influencers or creators go out there and tell their version of what it tasted like they were using kind of a proxy of whether or not they were going to like it. And it went really well. So you're, you're bang on. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's really that it, it is such an important lesson and, and building that trust, I think yeah. it is, is, you know, you start to make that one mistake, um, that along the way too, it's not only critical with the consumer, but if you have a buyer in our yes. case, like a retail I, buyer I, where you've got one flavor that doesn't move their perspective of your entire brand is like nobody buys that brand. Wow. But it could yeah. actually be that you have, you know, the slow moving one over on the side that is like not doing as well um, yeah. that will actually kill their perception of what your brand could do um, overall. So it's better to really have really solid um, especially at launch, like so, there, there shouldn't be one in your mind that is going to be the winner, the racehorse. And then hmm. you've got two or three, you should really, if you're going to go out with three skews, whatever it is, you should really just know that that, or believe that those three are going to be solid and neck and neck. Oh, that's good advice. I love that. Well, we're we're coming up on time. I have a million questions, and honestly, this could go on for three hours if we let it. But we'll yeah. we'll wrap here. We have some rapid fire questions for you, and so don't think, just answer. The okay. first one Perfect. is <laughs> the first one is you mentioned in your book that you read thirty minutes a day minimum. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Actually, uh, Jeff. Immelt's book um, called Hot Seat. Hot Seat. I like the title. And um, Je do you know who Jeff Immelt is? No. So Jeff actually, I sort of fan, what do you call it? I guess it's not fangirled. It's, it's uh, I fanned <laughs> over him, whatever that is. Um, over the years, uh, he was at GE and he was the CEO of GE. And prior to that, um, ages ago, there was a gentleman named Jack Welsh that I just felt was like the most amazing charismatic leader. He was up there in my mind, very different than like Steve Jobs, but mm -hmm. had just so many lessons about leading and incredible. And when he stepped down, I was like, whoa, who's going to take his place? Jeff Immel. And so ah. um, it was, a. Uh, and anyway, he just came out with his memoir and he was placed into the job to fill Jack Welsh's shoes. I mean, Jack Welsh, by the way, if you Google him, was, uh, you know, older gentleman, right? At, at the time he decided to retire. But I mean, he was named like the, the 
best leader of the, you know, wow. 20th century. I mean, he was like, you know, a hard act to follow. I mean, how do you jump in to that? Right. And, and so I, I just watched this guy carefully over the years, but anyway, he was put into his job as CEO four days before 9-11. And, wow. you know, how do you lead during crisis? I actually, I have a podcast as well. And um, I actually just interviewed him on my podcast and oh, you know, we go. just talked a lot about leading and, um, you know, leading during a pandemic. People asked me, like, how'd you know how to lead during a pandemic? And I mean, there was, I didn't, I, but I knew that I couldn't oh, freeze yeah. and I knew I had to keep innovating. And, you know, while I watched people all around me and, different CEOs of companies were just focused on cut, 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 cut. I kept, I was super aware. I got out there with the team. I wanted to make sure that everybody was safe and, and mm -hmm. healthy, but I also, you know, was willing to try and was willing to do all these things. Anyway, so like, so inspirational on so many levels. He teaches a course now at Stanford um, oh, wow. that on, on, you know, entrepreneurism and, and anyway, just leading overall. And um, so anyway, his book is incredible. Sorry, that's not a short answer, but you should definitely check it <laughs> out. We're going to plug that it. episode into our show notes. People need to go listen. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. And the other key thing that he talks about it that I think you guys would really appreciate that I think about a lot is, you know, managing to, to consumers who are you know, buying your stock as a public company as compared to oh, managing a private company and how do you stay growing, but, you know, not just sit there and think about profitability, profitability, because I think there's so many people that they think about, you know, their business, for example, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're running, you know, <clears throat> direct to consumer for a company and, maybe all of your budgets just got cut and you mm -hmm. don't really understand. I think that if you're getting ready to go public or you're public, I mean, there's just, there's just a, it's, there's just different levers and you don't really oh, understand yeah. the bigger picture of the company. And I, that's why I love listening to, you know, go back in history and, and like read about some of these leaders too and sort of what they were thinking. And it's so much better when they retire than they can sort of tell you what they were really thinking, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and yeah. what they wanted to do. And he was hit really, if you look, if you Google him, I mean, he was hit hard by Wall Street. Mm. You know, he was one of the wow. first people in 2005 um, to really start thinking about like solar energy and investing. And people looked at him and they said, what? Yeah, 2005. Like yeah. Solar, like, and, you know, and people, like, I mean, Wall Street did not like that at all. They thought he was, like, a little too, you know, frou-frou and, you know, pandering to the green people and, you know, mm. I, whatever. And so it's just, it's just a story of picking your lane and, yeah you know, getting rid of your doubters. It's the same story in many ways really and feeling is, yeah. like, who are you working for? And all of those things. So I love that. Okay. Oh well, adding that book to my list. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, next one, what is a brand other than your own that you're loving right now? A 
brand besides my my own. Um, you know, I've been obsessed with Apple for forever. Um, but you know, I gosh, that's not a fun one to say because I guess everybody <laughs> thinks they're so big now, right? Um, I'm gonna come back to that because I'm just yeah. I'm like okay. looking around my room right now. I, actually, okay, here's one. Here's here's a really really good one that I am obsessed with. And um, do, do you guys know Tatcha? Yes, yeah. I have that I product. Mean, yeah, it's so good. And whenever I'm like kind of need some Zen, I'll just like yes. sit here and spray <laughs> it, and it's so good. And oh it's my gosh. Like, uh, it just kind of resets me, and I think it's it's really great. So, oh my gosh! Anyway. Do you want to know something funny? You are not even the first guest we've had on that sprayed themselves with Tatcha on air. <laughs> You're the second. I love that's it. Done that. I want to. If she's <laughs> listening, I want to interview her for my podcast because yes. I'm obsessed with it. I love We're it. We're manifesting it. It's happening now. Yes. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Okay. Well, we're way over. I've got one final question for you. Obviously you have done so many amazing things. You have so much knowledge that you've built over the last, you know, several years. We think you get it. Actually, we know that you get it. Who do you think gets it? Who do I think gets it? There's a lot of people who get it. And I actually, I, I'd say, can I say two people? I think two people, Sarah Blakely, Yes. Actually, 100%. three people. Sarah Blakely. <laughs> Gary V. Yes. Um, I think he he he's a riot and and gets it. And actually one that you've probably never heard of that eventually you will hear of, probably. But uh Jennifer Bailey, um, who is the highest ranking woman inside of Apple. She runs Apple Payments and she oh, launched no the way. Apple Store. Yeah, she's amazing. She actually used to work with my husband ages ago at Netscape. And uh, she had worked for Steve Jobs at Apple and then worked for him at Next and then uh, actually came back when he came back to Apple and she left Netscape when AOL acquired Netscape. Mm -hmm. And, um, And this whole crazy idea of launching Apple stores, we were like, what are you doing? Like, how can Apple launch their own store? I mean, can't you just go to Best Buy and buy mm. their products? Like, why? All she just really gets it, and wow. she is. Um, yeah, I like fangirled over her a few years ago because it was the first time. You know, when Steve was live, he used to be on stage, and he was the only one that was on stage for you know the company. And mm-hmm. uh, when he passed away. Jen was actually, it wasn't announced, but Jen was on stage. And that's a hard act to follow, right? After he passed away. And I I was watching it on television and I didn't know she was going to be on. And you'll have to go back and look at it when she was on. Mm -hmm. And she is, she's just a badass. Like one day I I keep thinking that she's going to, she'll, you know, she's done every job in that company and she's still so lovely and so humble and oh. now she's now she was running the online store now she's doing apple payments she's like does i mean she's amazing so anyway Smart that's cookie. somebody who really really gets it and understands yes. the consumer quite well 
Oh my okay. Wow. Great recommendations. And as you were saying how she's so lovely and humble, I have to say the same about you. Um, chatting you. with you has just been such a pleasure. Um, we're really honored that you came on the show. So thank you so much. And we're so excited to get this episode out there. Thank you. Okay. You've made it this far, you guys. This is a long episode, and I swear I could have kept going. I, Emma was giving me the cue that it was time to to land the plane, and for once in my life, I listened. Not easy <laughs> Listen to do. To me. <laughs> I try. I really do. <laughs> Honestly, there were there were so many questions we didn't even get to ask. I swear these conversations fly by, and then as soon as we end or wrap, I'm like, oh, this would have been such a cool angle to take anyways. The, the one that was a little unexpected for me um, was when Kara was talking about being all things to all people. And I don't know if I'm just like too ingrained in the tech world and the D2C world, but everyone always tells, tells me, don't be all things to all people. Pick one target market and go hard after them and forget about everything else until they've like essentially earned your attention at that point. And I think what Kara mentioned here about working with, you know, cancer patients or working with people with type 2 diabetes, and she talks about all of these different communities that they were inadvertently serving because they weren't too far down with one target market. And there was something really special about the fact that she intentionally stayed out of the weeds so that people could interpret Hint and their story any way that made sense to them and the way that resonates to them in their own situations. I thought that was super powerful and not something we hear a lot about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's so interesting how she approaches it. And I think kind of the overarching theme is like, people are going to tell you to do things a certain way. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. You don't have to listen to them. You yeah. just don't. And a lot of the time that's what's going to make you successful in the end. So that's really cool. And I also think what just gives me the warm and fuzzies about this episode is like, Kara's a very successful person. We have a small podcast that is still growing. Not only did she come on our show, not only did she give us more of her time than we'd asked for, she also stayed on with us after, talked to us about building a podcast, um, gave us a lot of great advice. And it's just that reminder that like you can be super successful and you can also be a good person and not let yeah. it get to your head. And even in the book, she talks about you know how they chose to do business. And even when Starbucks let them down, they didn't go get mad at Starbucks. No, mm -hmm. it sucked. They were disappointed, but they weren't going to go, um, you know, treat them poorly because of it. And I think that's just such a good reminder. Um, and yeah, it's inspiring. One day when we're big, successful entrepreneurs like Kara, we're still going to be nice. We sure will. We sure will. <laughs> We've actually been very lucky or fortunate or whatever you want to call it that all of the guests we've brought on have been salt of the earth people. And I think mm -hmm. that actually comes down to like you and I resonate with the people who are just good people. Yes, they're killer mm -hmm. in their field, but they're also good people. And that's something I think not enough people understand. Good people get it. That's good people it. get it. Yes. Okay. They really heard do. Heard it here first. You heard it here first. And if that's not a quotable moment, I don't know what is. <laughs> As always, you guys, we so appreciate ratings and reviews. If you're listening on Apple, please, please, please drop us a comment, drop us a review and give us a five-star rating. We will be eternally grateful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening. 
and we will see you next week. Hopefully I won't have a rasp in the next episode. (laughs) Fingers crossed and we'll talk to you then. (laughs) Bye.